0: And it's Steve Tasker who has been all over
1: the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve. A balloon. Steve. A blimp. <laughs> We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. Hey, hey, what do you say? We're back from vacay here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, back in the saddle for a, a single edition this week. <laughs> Boom. Man, I needed a break from my vacation our Sabres before draft, I go back uh, on vacation. Our, our uh, team's Sabres draft coverage will begin in earnest tomorrow. Duffer and Marty will be doing three-hour shows from Montreal tomorrow and Friday in advance of the draft, the NHL draft. So uh, they'll be taking the wheel, and we're happy to hand it over to them for an event such as that, and they'll begin that tomorrow. So we're just here today with you, so jump on board right away. At your leisure, eight zero three zero five fifty one 550 2550 as we are discussing training camp, which is on the horizon now. Before we get to that, though, do you have a good fourth, Steve? Excellent fourth. Got Absolute some great excellent. weather some
2: here. Trem- the tremendous The third and the weather. fourth in particular. Yeah, the, the, uh, I live over in, EA, in East Aurora, and they celebrate it on the third every year, it's like Ten to 15,000 people show up, and they have fireworks, wow. and it's, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Um, big day right down the Village Parade, the whole thing, the whole thing, and uh, so that was fun, plus, you know, I, I got tons of kids and family and all that stuff, so it was fun. We had yeah. to touch base with, it's been one of those summers, and this is a continuation of what it's been like up to this point. Yeah. Everybody really seems so happy to be back out and oh, about yeah. in the public. Definitely. There's still that vibe of that we're just kind of emerging and getting back into it and there's certain things like the 4th of July. This is the first 4th of July that
1: the first full summer, yeah. Yeah,
2: that's been free of the pandemic and everybody's just still feeling that a little bit. So there's still that kind of fun yeah. vibe going on about everything.
1: We uh we just did the pool day. Yeah. Barbecue, you know, the good old-fashioned American hot dogs and apple pie kind of 4th of July had a cornhole tournament uh, with the family there. So that was good intense intense competition, well, we had, I'm sure. we had two sets of boards going at once, you know, so we had the brackets oh, wow. we had and the brackets set up there two. single elimination
2: <laughs> center court and court 1. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. We uh we did get some protesting because uh, <laughs> let's just say my backyard isn't exactly level in all areas. So some people were a little um, we're a little disappointed you know, that one of the boards was clearly tilted to the right about just, five degrees. Let me just say this, though. If there's going to
2: be a family tournament and anything, it's not really real until there's a protest.
1: Yeah. And we had that. So <laughs> I guess it was real in every sense of the word. Now, I know I was telling you this earlier, Steve. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I try to pace myself because, you know, I and I'm not even talking about the drinking. I'm talking about the eating because I don't really drink that much anyway. But. The, the food, I was just doing the usual. Burgers and dogs. I was on the grill, so I was busy. And, you know, you always make extra, sure. you know, somebody's got a little extra hankering for, you know, one extra hot dog or whatever. Or they drop one in the fire, whatever. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I had it down almost to the letter. I made, like, six extra hot dogs for a party of 15, and they were all gone by the oh, end of the oh, night. There you go. Because, so you know, the last thing you want is seven extra hot dogs sitting in your fridge, yeah. you know, wrapped up in foil for a I couple of you. days. And all right. Before you throw them out. You reheat that. <laughs> you reheat those, and you're regretting it if you eat them. Um, and I was pretty close on the burger count, too. But I only had – I went one and one. I went a burger and a dog. And I don't know what the heck happened, but, like, four hours later, just from one burger and one dog – I started breaking out in some meat sweats. I don't know what was going on.
2: A little dehydrated. Like, I get
1: to about eight o'clock, and I'm like, I need a bottle of water.
2: <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I think I had like
1: three bottles of water between eight and ten. I was. Well,
2: that's all. Well was, and good oh my! I until mean, later.
1: I, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I wasn't. Don't get me wrong. I was no Joey Chestnut. Seventy-six hot dogs, dude, in ten minutes. That guy is a is a physical anomaly. Yeah. That must be... Not to mention the fact that there was a, a, a ruffian, a protester, runs onto the stage during the contest. Did you see that? No. They're having, what happened? So they're having the hot dog eating contest on Coney Island like they do every year, 4th of July. Joey Chestnut's there with a host of other competitive eaters who can't come close. He won by 20 hot dogs. Nobody even goes comes near him. Oh, my God. I like, it's just, we can't find anybody else on this planet that can eat like this guy. I don't get it. We got what do we got? Six billion people in the world now? There's nobody else like Joey, Joey Chestnut? I mean, okay. he's the most unique human on the planet. So what about the protester? What is so, ha- he protesting? So they're so they're about three minutes into the competition. Three minutes in, and the guy runs right up onto the stage in front of Joey Chestnut, assuming he's on camera, and he holds up this sign, something about galactic um. I can't even remember what was on the sign. Guy's got like a Darth Vader helmet. It was ridiculous. He's out there, and he holds up the sign. Joey Chestnut in mid-hot dog puts the hot dog in the other hand, wraps the guy in a headlock, and wrestles him away from the table. Security was there a short time later and tackled the guy, and Joey goes right back to Eaton. Didn't even lose his lead. It was unbelievable. Joey Chestnut, an American icon, Steve. Wow, that's... And he that, had an immobilizer boot from an ankle injury. So I saw The guy's got a peg leg. I saw And picture. he's wrestling protesters down to the ground. He's unbelievable. He's an that, American
2: icon. That passes into legendary status right there. Not only winning like <laughs> 20 hot dogs in a leg boot and wrestling a protester the to the ground closest, that gets in front of the camera.
1: The next closest competitor was at 56. He's 20 behind him. That's amazing. I mean, amazing. it's... He's like the Secretariat of Competitive okay, wait, wait.
2: Eating. Do we, in our lifetime, do we see a Joey Chestnut uh, movie?
1: Oh, that. I, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. What's he won it? Like 12 of the last 13 I years? I think he had like a stomach the, bug one time anti- and <laughs> didn't win.
2: Right. Where's the, you know, what's the story? Where, where's the drama going to be in the
1: Joey Chestnut well, movie? Well, I, I mean, I will say this because... Who plays Joey I know when Drew Drew Serza has Wing Fest here Labor Day weekend every year, and he does get Joey to come up for the winging. He he doesn't win that every year. And he he said he was going out to Las Vegas this weekend because they got a chicken finger eating contest out there. He doesn't win a lot of the other contests. He wins some of them. I don't know what it is. He owns the hot dog thing. He's got that thing down, and nobody comes close. And it was funny because – I saw him on the Today Show the next morning. They were interviewing him. Like, yeah. He said they, they asked him how you feel, and he says usually it takes me about a day and a half to recover. I'm I'm feeling rough right now. You probably don't want to stand next to me because I smell like meat. Yeah, I mean you eat 76 hot dogs. That's coming out of your it's pores. Out of your
2: pores, yeah. I mean, wow, you know,
1: that's amazing. No, those are meat sweats.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I don't know what was going on with me with just one hot dog and one hamburger, but apparently I we it was a huge weekend for.
2: We're not big goer outers, okay. But we were out Saturday, Sunday, and Monday nights this last weekend. How'd you hold up? Well, I'm, I'm at the point in my life now where I can kind of sleep late if I feel like sleeping late. So I'm kind of ba- I'm bouncing back a little better than most people. <laughs> okay, because I'm you know the house is empty for the most part. But three straight nights is, is three a straight stretch, nights is takes its toll. You. It takes its toll. Yeah, yeah, and that. It was a great weekend though, one of the all time great ones for us, and it was uh, uh, just because of the weather and the atmosphere yeah. and the and the and the you know the reunion type stuff. Plus the the village we live in over there has just got something going on all day, every day, every weekend. It seems like so it was it's been fun, but I'm yeah I'm I'm not really complaining about coming into work today because I could need a I need a break from my vacation from your leisure time from my leisure time (laughs) and then yeah i'll be ready to take the rest of the week off though
1: okay all
2: right well this is a nice respite sure from my respite
1: i I could see i could see how that is the case we're
2: like less than three weeks away from training camp bros i know it's
1: it's exciting the
2: 24th they report and that's just the afternoon nothing's going on on that sunday it's july 24th they, they get checked in and there'll be Take the obligatory one. videos of guys carrying air conditioners into the dorm rooms. Yeah. But then the big, next morning big mattresses. The next morning, Monday the twenty fifth, you and I are gonna be over there. We're gonna be standing there watching practice and we're gonna be on the air at one o'clock in the afternoon after practice is over. So uh-huh. and that's when you and I both made jokes about it. we're gonna be shifting gear and that's it, man. We're like locked in for the duration till February. It's gonna be good. Less goal. I think
1: there's a couple of teams that always start earlier because they're playing in the Hall of Fame game. Right. So that's a standalone. Do they, they still stand of teams out that alone? Are only about two weeks away from training. Do
2: game? they still stand alone that game by the whole weekend? Because it used to be yeah. like on the Thursday or Friday of the because or only, Saturday of the Hall of Fame weekend, and then there is no other
1: game that weekend, and then the next right. Thursday
2: they start again. Yeah. Right.
1: They. You, I remember when the Bills were in in 2009, when Mr. Wilson and Bruce went in, the Bills were playing the Titans, right? and they had a fifth preseason game back then in Hall of Fame week, which is the first week, and then everybody else joins in the week after. So the Bills and the Titans played five preseason games that year. Yeah, we did that. And now it's only three, so the Hall of Fame game is a fourth for whoever has the extra one. We did that. It seems like... uh...
2: We had an extra preseason game a couple of times during the Super Bowl year there was one time one year where we were playing like 25 games 16 regular season games, four preseason games mm-hmm. and uh, an American Bowl game in the preseason as right. an extra one and the playoffs and games. then we had a wild card division championship Super Bowl and yeah it was a long year yeah it was a long year I remember
1: a lot around. of people chalked up. I can't remember your guys' '94 season to the toll those four straight Super Bowl appearances took on you guys because well, you essentially played five yeah. seasons in four. When we got when played we five got, seasons in four years, yeah. When we got beaten the fourth straight time in the Super Bowl, we were tired. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't t- say that. really. Those
1: four losses took it out of us. Well, no, I think it was playing the yeah. equivalent of oh, yeah. five seasons worth of games. Yeah, and in I four get years. it too.
2: Now, even so that you know, we you know, the preseason games back then were even oh. more. Farcical than they are now, uh, particularly when you got guys that are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers and a first ballot Hall of Fame coach, and nobody playing in those games. Um, I didn't even cover kicks in those games. I had like three plays. There's one of the preseason games I remember I got like three plays, mm. and I was sitting down. I was like, okay. So, this is what it feels like to be Bruce, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean At so, training camp. so but but still the same is, you know, you're going through it and even if you don't if you, it's like getting one practice off basically. Yeah. And uh it was long seasons. So yeah, it's we're about ready to get that started and hopefully uh, once again the Bills go deep into the postseason.
1: That is the hope and the yeah. expectation. Uh NFL news and notes. While we were gone, Steve, the the, as the Cleveland quarterback turns, kept turning, you know, Deshaun Watson, the case wrapped up late last week. They are anticipating that, you know, Sue Robinson's got to hear everything, decide on everything. When that's coming down, we don't know. There's talk that settlement talks may resume since you have an NFL PA side, an NFL side, and then the arbitrator, who is Sue Robinson. But we're just going to have to wait and see. Meanwhile, CBS Sports' Jocena Anderson is reporting that previous reports stating the Seahawks have never really been that interested in Baker Mayfield are inaccurate. So there seems to be conflicting reports here as to what is true and what is untrue. Do the Seahawks or do the Seahawks not have an interest in Baker Mayfield as a potential quarterback acquisition um i know in i know you feel this way so i'm not afraid to say this on behalf of the show i think if you or i had drew lock and geno smith as options for the starting quarterback take all of the negatives of baker mayfield as a player whatever they might be i think i'd still take him over yeah, those two guys. There, there's
2: they're dumb to say they're not interested in Baker Mayfield. Now, here's the thing: they're not going to give up three first rounders, yeah. and his whole take his whole salary on on a one year deal and all that yiggity yiggity. They're not they're not going to do all of that. Now they'll take him, but this it's for their price. Yeah, that's that's the simple. And that's why that. it
1: hasn't happened yet with them or Carolina. And
2: I, I and I matter. told you this too. I I think that Cleveland is playing this right because there's no reason for them to give up anything. Because they they're sitting where they want to be, whether and despite that the idiotic hole they've dug for themselves, paying two guys sixty five million dollars combined,
1: and neither may play and not, neither one of them is
2: going to take a <laughs> snap for them. Besi- aside from that, in the in the Baker Mayfield Seattle Seahawks talks, the the Cleveland Browns hold all the cards. They're going to play hardball with those guys because they know Cleveland. I mean, Seattle ain't going to go in the – into the season with Geno Smith and Drew
1: Locke. Yeah, it's a staring contest right now, right? I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah, it's like, a staring oh, we'll, contest. Well, we think you, you get, you're going to want to get rid of Baker because that's an untenable situation. And Cleveland's like, well, we think you're going to want a quarterback because you have Drew Locke and Geno Smith, and they're waiting to see which side blinks first.
2: Seattle's got something in their eye in that staring contest. They're trying to keep their eye open, yeah, like- and they can't do it. <laughs> and, and Cleveland... <laughs> And Cleveland is dog tired of this yeah. offseason. They're just trying to Neither, hold their head up. They're trying to hold their head up. So if that's a staring contest, they're both sitting there with their eyes closed.
1: The staring contest. It's television. over.
2: Because I'm. Seattle, can uh, if Seattle goes into the season with Drew Locke and Geno Smith, okay, write them off. They're going to be picking first in the NFL draft this next year. First? Wow. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Even ahead of your. Beloved Chicago Bears. Sorry, I couldn't say that with a straight It'll face. be close.
2: <laughs> it'll be close. It'll be – I'll, I'll give you a handful of teams that are in that competition. For the right basement. Now, for the basement. Seattle, Chicago. Your, your. Mm, I was going to say one of the AFC East teams.
1: Maybe not. Who's going to have like three or four wins this year? Houston. What about Cleveland without Deshaun? Probably, well, still, get, if it's got probably still get six, seven wins.
2: Yeah. That, I mean, I don't think that's your conversation right there. No. That's the conversation. It could be. It could be. It won't be Jacksonville. It, it
1: won't, won't be, be Detroit, won't I don't be, think.
2: It won't be Detroit. It won't be Jacksonville. It won't be Indianapolis. And it won't be Tennessee. Houston? Houston's got a shot at it. Houston Chicago's got it. a shot at it. Seattle's got a shot at it. Those are my three. Those are my three yeah, I don't leaders think in the too clubhouse. Many others. Yeah, I don't
1: think there's too many others.
2: And and Russ Wilson's going to make Denver a, oh, a, yeah. a much better football team. Um, the Jets are going to get better because of their draft, and the, and they're finally, after so many decades, they they hit it absolutely out of the park. Now they now it is the Jets, and we've seen them sabotage their own efforts. In but I don't think they're going to do it with this this group. Miami with a new head coach, they may take a step back, even with Tyreek Hill on their squad. Yeah, I think that's it. It's Chicago, it's Seattle, and it's Houston. One of those three is yeah. is probably plus, plus 200 to be the number one overall pick.
1: Speaking of Chicago, their second-round draft pick from last year's draft, who was – projected to be the starting left tackle of the future. Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State. He is running with the second team at right tackle at the close of minicamp. And so the forecast is for him to start in the same place when he gets back. They had a fifth-round rookie, Braxton Jones, playing with the first team instead of Jenkins. Um, Now, we know that Jenkins has had a history of back issues so there is no word that he's been dealing with anything. But you got a high draft choice for a, an important position, especially with a young quarterback like Justin Fields, and he's not even on the left side, number one. And then number two, he's not even with the starting unit. In this his second season, and he's got a rookie ahead of him on the depth chart going into training camp. There's time to make up ground, but it certainly is not – An encouraging sign. Yeah. And and he's not the first. He won't be the last in this league of underachievers or draft disappointments.
2: Yeah. its I'll say this, though. It's hard to be disappointing that fast. (laughs) Yeah. I think about it. Yeah. I mean, there's... You usually get
1: There's, a lot of a lot a little more rope too when you're a first or a second that's round That's
2: got to be he's got to he had to have come in and said or done some things that are like what are you doing? Like, you know, late for meetings, just grossly sh- overweight. Yeah, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever it is. And attitude, whatever it is, it's really difficult to disappoint that fast when you're that high a pick and with those, those kind of expectations.
1: Now, there are there has been a coaching change there, so the the, the people that Well, yeah, and a new front office, too, because it's Ryan Poles. So they are not beholden to Tevin Jenkins as a draft choice because this this regime did not draft him. So they're taking him at face value, and at face value, he's second team right now. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes among a whole host of other competitions that will go on across the league in training camp. Jameis Winston posted a video on Instagram, Steve, shows him throwing doing throwing drills without wearing an E-brace. He tore his ACL on Halloween last year, but looks like he's on track to start week one for the Saints. There was a lot made of, you know, the reporters down in New Orleans when they were watching OTAs, they said, oh, you know, Jameis is limping around a little bit. He's got a hitch in his step. So hearing this and seeing him do some throwing drills without an E-brace has Saints fans encouraged. I think we all know his weapons figure to be better this year, provided Michael Thomas comes all the way back, and there's videos out there of him running routes, granted on air, but that's more than he's done in quite a while. Um, The only thing that's going to hurt the Saints in the early going is, you know, Kamara looks like he's going to be facing a six-game suspension. So that's going to hurt, but if Winston's healthy and he's got his core receivers there, you know, at least they could, you know, tread water until Kamara's back. So, yeah, they've uh, – Jameis Winston has always been
2: a tantalizing quarterback, and we all know why. He's a guy that throws a million touchdowns along with a million interceptions. I mean, the guy is a roller coaster like none other. It's a thrill ride. Um, if And we thought we were seeing a little something different with Sean Payton as his head coach last year before he got hurt. Jameis was playing better. Uh-huh. They, he was, you know, good coaching kind of gets that out of him. You know what I mean? The the turnovers and the bad throws and the gambles. And Jameis has got a live arm, no question about it. But, you know, now with an injury, that puts it in a little different perspective too. So you think, too, the Saints are, you know, they're counting on Jameis Winston coming back from an ACL. They're also counting on uh, the wide receiver. You just said his name, um, uh,
1: Oh, Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, who is a
2: phenomenal receiver. Thomas is also coming back from an injury. So there's a lot of question marks there, along with a new head coach who was, you know, was the defensive coordinator last year. So they got a defensive guy coaching them now, although, albeit with some experience as a head coach when he was with Oakland. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of question marks in in New Orleans. Now, some of those c- Questions could be answered with a big fat yes. I mean, they did the right thing, but it's hard to see all of them being answered to the positive form. So we'll see what happens in New Orleans. But Jameis Winston is a guy who, for all his problems, and for all the stuff he's done, it, it, it's hard to root against him because he's such a positive guy. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what happens with New Orleans. And you know, also being in there with the with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is no picnic either, as, as you know, Bills fans know all good and well. Being in the division with a team that's that's stacked that's yeah, going to be interesting for the for the saints dennis allen is going to get a second chance as a head coach i'll be interested to see how he does yeah. he was a smart guy when he was with oakland i had some production meetings with him spoke with him listened to him he knows the numbers uh he seems well prepared but when it comes to being a really good head coach you got to have a lot of things going for you leadership you got to have a presence about you you got to have a
1: clear a, vision for the team a, yeah
2: exactly and you got to be willing to go with the strengths of your team you can't um you can't spend too much time as a head coach in any one area of the club because you know everything else will will atrophy if you don't give it attention as the top guy so uh, we'll see if Dennis Allen can get it going in in New Orleans i know that he's This is a chance that doesn't come along for a lot of guys. When they flame out as a head coach, I'm not saying he flamed out or failed miserably as Oakland because it was a tough situation when he was there. But it's something that doesn't always come around for guys.
1: We know the Browns are talking about a potential new stadium project or a renovation of some kind of their existing stadium. Now Chicago has put together a committee to explore putting a dome on Soldier Field. So if you think the last renovation, which looked like you landed a spaceship on Soldier Field, was bad, imagine what a dome could look like. They are exploring a a Chicago mayoral committee. They're exploring the feasibility of putting a dome on top of Soldier Field to make it more attractive as a facility to potential users, including the Bears. The dome, though, they're saying, is almost certainly going to require a taxpayer subsidy of some kind total cost estimates to put a dome on soldier field 400 million to 1.5 billion have been thrown out there as numbers i don't know if they're purely arbitrary or i don't know if they're hard and fast figures that's first of all that's a hell of a range for right. a dome from 400 million to 1.5 billion like yeah. 1.1 billion
2: dollar range it'll be 400
1: million or a little more than triple that like what right. how do you
2: wh- and i it comes down to the design of it no question about it yeah. is it going to be is it going to be one of the uh the, you know pop tents uh where they have the the uh kevlar surface and it keeps the weather out but not the temperature or is it going to be a a dome more like Texas Stadium or, or Jerry World down in Dallas or one yeah. of the or heart or the Louisiana Superdome, going to be one of those kind of facilities. Um, it, that's where you get the range in. What's the yeah. thing? How's it going to be designed? What's it going to look like? What's yes. it going to take? And Number so, of upgrades, exactly, changes. What else they got to upgrade to get it there. Now, I'll say this too one of the things about Chicago, they have never gone expensive when they, re- even when they renovate, even for the new soldier field. Remember, if you've ever been to Chicago, the old soldier field was an iconic structure. Looked like an it was a Romanesque, big, huge circle, way bigger than a football field. It was enormous and it looked really impressive, old style columns, stone columns yep. all the way around. It was awesome looking. And what they did in their renovation was they just built, they left that impressive old facade and Put a space age shiny chrome (laughs) stadium inside of it, like literally. It almost you said it, and that's what they say. It looks like a spaceship just landed in the old Soldier Field. Encounters
1: of the Third Kind came back and landed on Soldier Field. Now
2: here's one another thing. Before they renovated Soldier Field, it was an atrocity. It was the turf was bad. It was laughable. The state it was in. You, there are county fairs with rodeo stands better than what Soldier Field was. It was it was awful. So that when they renovated it, whether it was good or bad, when they did it and put a new stadium in it, everybody loved it because it was light years from the from the barn that with the dirt floor that they were in for decades. Basically, anything would have been better. Anything would have been better. So the fans loved it. Critics who'd seen other stadiums panned it. They said. You know, what the heck? Is what that? do you? This is ridiculous. What is it? They didn't like it, <laughs> yeah. and for a lot of reasons, there were the the traffic flows, the concourses, all the stuff that makes it, it. It was horrible, but it was new, and they loved it. So you can imagine what they're going through now in Chicago with this renovation. Are that you know they're going to shoestring it again? It'll be upgraded, and they'll be better, particularly in bad weather games. But my my expectations are are uh, appropriately low
1: the thing is for 1.5 billion you could build a whole new thing from scratch i know you, i mean i understand well, and respect the history the of soldier field but if One you're going to reasons- get up to 1.5 bill just build a whole new thing and don't let's not forget
2: they got to this point where the politics in chicago as pristine and angelic as they are i say that with great sarcasm Finally, got to the point where they started addressing Soldier Field because the ownership of the Bears bought land out in what I can't even remember the name of the suburb way north by a racetrack, they
1: like Arlington an old Heights. Racetrack out of Arlington
2: Heights racetrack, they bought the land, and got the optional land. They're going to build their own stadium out away from the city, which will draw all the revenue away from the city as well.
1: So they said, "Oh, oh, hold on." So there.
2: them doing that, getting the option, starting to start say, "Listen, we're just going to finance it ourselves. And we're going to get it done." The Chicago, city of Chicago finally said, "Oh, well, maybe we'll put uh, four hundred million. Maybe we'll put a one point five billion dollar roof on the old stadium." How do you what do you think? That's where they're at there, yeah. and that's that's how multi layered the politics are in Chicago and why they're at this point. And this was months ago when they f- first. This was last year when they took up the option on the Arlington Heights stuff. Yeah. So. It's a train wreck in Chicago, man.
1: <laughs> both politically, both
2: politically and football-wise. <laughs> That's why they're going to be they're going to pick first in the draft.
1: To, to, to discuss, we'll put that on the whiteboard. To discuss bigger and better things as it pertains to football. With Bills training camp closing in, we ask you today: Who must have a great training camp this summer, and why? We know this is not going to be an easy roster to make for some. Who has to put together the best training camp of their life to give themselves the best chance to be on this roster come week one? 803-0550, the number to get on board, one eight eight eight-five fifty-two five fifty, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live and give us your response there. There's plenty of people to choose from, I can tell you that. Steve and I will get into some of the names we think belong on that list and why next here on one bills live presented by collider health it's buffalo bills radio welcome back to one bills live chris brown steve tasker with you and we have a trade alert we were just talking about them, and it's happened It's unbelievable. Great alert. Baker Mayfield has a new football team. It's the Carolina Panthers who are acquiring Baker Mayfield from the Browns for a 2024 conditional fifth round draft choice. I'm assuming if he starts a number of games, it could become a fourth rounder. Uh, This is according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport and Tom Pellicero. And they split. The deal is pending a physical. All parties split the financials. So he was due $18.85 million. So cut it in half and 9.42 for each team to pay. And Baker gets a
2: chance to compete with Sam Darnold to start. Who got drafted two picks after him
1: and in the 2018 NFL so you get draft. get the one and the three pick of the ni- 2018 draft. And then you also have Matt Corral, who was a third-rounder that they drafted this year.
2: And you'd trade all of them for the two guys selected after after those. <laughs> two well, the, I mean, two the there's three. still
1: time for them to pick up Josh Rosen. If yeah, wrong. they could
2: pick up Josh Rosen as well. <laughs> they're not they're Get not getting them on the other two though but that that uh all right so baker mayfield is going to play for carolina yeah for his 18.85 million well you're assuming he's starting and well if he's on the team he yeah. makes it sam darnold he didn't he just sign a, an
1: extension what is his deal i will i will check but i i think he's, he signed an extension after he was traded there yeah um, but that was over a year ago. That's going to be really
2: is it. really interesting. Um, that's been spoken about a lot, and well, now it makes perfect sense why Seattle said, "Hey, we didn't, we didn't want so him anyway. no we Darnold want him
1: anyway." Darnold, just like Baker Mayfield, is on a fifth-year option, eighteen point eight five million. So both of these guys are making identical money last year. Their contract. And Carolina's only, paying... only paying half of Baker mm. Mayfield's money. If Baker Mayfield is this much better than Sam Darnold, I think Sam's getting, I think Darnold's getting thrown overboard. Yeah, they
2: might hit the little button on the eject seat. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. Does Maybe he, do, let I... me
1: ask you this. In the NFC South. No, because they're still on the hook. They're is...
2: still, he's not going to stick around because they're still on the hook as guaranteed money. For Darnold. They're both guaranteed, so they're going to both still be there. They're going to dead cap if they cut them. They'll probably be roommates on the road. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It'll be like being on the pre draft circuit all over again. This is great. Gosh. Let me ask you this in the NFC South, does Baker Mayfield, as the starting quarterback for the Panthers, move the needle for you at all? Tampa is expected to be the class of the division. If Jameis bounces back with a productive season, they could be flirting with second place. Nobody thinks Atlanta's going to do much of anything. Um, so what, does Mayfield move the needle for you at all in that NFC South race, or are the Panthers still a third-place team at best? I still think they're
2: uh, – I think it's Carolina may be able to give New Orleans a sh- – a run for its money. Yeah,
1: if their if their dynamic back is healthy, they, and you know that they Bumera aren't is beating, out, they
2: aren't beating Tampa Bay. No, but they will get some help because Tampa Bay has never beaten New Orleans in, or they haven't. It's been like five or six years since they've beaten New Orleans in Tampa Bay or in New Orleans. One of the two. I think and, It's in New Orleans, right? So they Tampa Bay has Brady's struggled. lost twice to them, right? So there is that um, in New Orleans. Yeah. So that'll give them some help in the division. But, yeah, I, I still – I'm with you. I, a fifth round, a conditional fifth rounder for the first overall – player for, taken first overall in 2018. Mm-hmm. They got the first overall pick of that draft. The fourth overall pick of that draft is what Darnold was. Man. But, Kyler Murray – How the turntables.
1: <laughs> turn Kyler Murray has already tweeted out – um, some encouraging words for Baker, who is a fellow Oklahoma alum like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray succeeded Baker Mayfield after he left. And it's all caps, work out, exclamation point, with the shush emoji to uh, Baker Mayfield there. Uh, I don't know if you were aware of this, but Tom Pellicero has mentioned this. Week one. Panthers versus Browns. Panthers-Browns. <laughs> oh, Nelly! In, at
2: Browns? It, where is it? Are we are going to find that out. Panthers I have... host the Browns. Oh, Okay, that's even better. That so it's down in Carolina. It would have been better in Cleveland. It would have been. For us, nobody else, but for us. That's
1: about as juicy as it gets, my friends. Bro
2: that is awesome. Especially
1: if Watson plays. I don't know if any of us expect that to happen.
2: I'm going to watch that. Uh, you got to watch it. Sunday, when we're, yeah, the
1: Bills play. We'll be able to watch it. We'll be it. watching well, it. Well, whether we get the game here locally is another story. We might but, get the Jet game or something. Right. Uh, but Browns-Panthers, hmm. with Baker involved on the other side of it, yum, yum, give me some.
2: Oh, man. That's that is pretty good. good.
1: <laughs> Put that on Monday night. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in a rare move, we've dun, decided dun, 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 to uh, flex our week one game. Yes, it will uh. no longer be. Yeah, <laughs> wow, oh that gosh. could be juicy. That could be juicy.
2: That is, that is week one. So the Monday night game on week one is Broncos Seahawks. Okay, that's pretty good too. Same thing, Russ Wilson. Going back to Seattle.
1: Yeah, Mike Garafolo from NFL Network is got some details on the financials. The Browns will pay Baker Mayfield ten and a half million this season. The other eight point seven five, or whatever. you know, eight point yeah, eight point three five. Um, the Panthers will pay Mayfield though approximately seven million. Mayfield agreed to trim three and a half off his base salary for the trade to happen. Because we had heard all along, Steve, that the Panthers and the Browns were talking, but they could never agree on the financials. And so it came down to Baker stepping in and saying, I will take $3.5 million less, so Carolina, you only have to pay me about 5 and the Browns pick up the rest of the tab. So that's how it looks like the money's working. ten and a half to be paid by the Browns to Mayfield, $5 million to be paid to Mayfield by the Panthers, and he agrees that's, to take a pay cut of $3.5 million. That's kind of amazing. That's how bad he wanted to get out of
2: Cleveland. That's kind of amazing because when Ian Rapport he had it right, he, Ian Rappaport said all parties came together on the financials, yeah. split the financials, and that meant Baker as well. Yes, it did. That's big, really big.
1: That week one game is going to be something. Oh my god. It is going to be charged. Who is going, going to be taking?
2: Who is going to be taking snaps? And oh man.
1: That's uh that's some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> that's a that's a big trade alert for July the 6th. What do you think? How about that? All
2: right. So, you get into training camp, it's Darnold Mayfield. Darnold is the guy that's making big money. Mayfield's now just a guy. He's not even making backup money, as far as the Panthers are concerned. They just gave up a fifth rounder for him. You got to think Baker's, a, and I think most of us do, or maybe not all of us, think Baker's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. He's he's shown more. He's been a little more consistent. He struggled to win. He played hurt last year. Yeah, he can but, retain plays. But Darnold has you know just hasn't gotten it done at any level for any team he's played for, last year included. It's going to be really intriguing when um, to see Baker Mayfield.
1: That's a training camp everybody's going to have their eyes on. you got two yeah, former top three picks yeah. going at each other. I mean, that's going to – the national media will be descending on Carolina Panthers' Think about camp. it. There were
2: five quarterbacks picked in the first round of the 2018 draft. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, taking 31st or 32nd overall, was the MVP. Josh Allen is maybe as good – well, he's in the conversation for the absolute best quarterback in the National Football League at this point. Josh Rosen's not in the league, and Baker Mayfield – and Sam Darnold, the first two guys picked, are now playing for different football teams.
1: Mm-hmm. And but I it, believe...
2: That is a quintessential coin flip as to who you get and if they're, they're going to be good or not.
1: Well, and it also, I think, accentuates how important it is in terms of your landing spot. Because now, through no choice of their own, Baker Mayfield... And Sam Darnold are now both on their third head coach. And it's possible for Darnold, it's his fourth offensive coordinator. For Mayfield, I believe it's his third offensive it's, it's, coordinator. It's Mayfield's fourth coach. Fourth coordinator.
2: Fourth coach, too. He came in with Hugh, Do- Hugh Douglas. Jack- Hugh, Hugh, Jackson. Hugh Jackson. Freddie, Freddie Kitchens, Kitchens. Fourth head coach. Stefanski. Holy mackerel. And now the guy in Carolina, Only the third head Matt Rule, fourth. That's
1: head coach. the thing. It's just as important what you get dropped into as what you make. It's, of it. I am totally with you on that.
2: I, these guys get dropped, and and I get it too. Most of these first overall picks are going to a train wreck of a team anyway because they're they're the number one pick of the draft. Just like you know, whoever Chicago picks next year or whoever Seattle picks next year is going to be this guy that gets dropped into that. I'm just going to keep saying it. I, I think Seattle and Chicago are going to vibe. <laughs> and Houston, or maybe Houston. So one of those three teams is going to be the first overall pick of the draft. And that's, you know, what it happens to the kid after he gets there and who's coaching him and what he's got going for him is going to have a lot to say about how successful he is. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, Sam – I mean, we – all of us we a lot of us really wanted Sam Darnold to be a bill. We all wanted, you know, Baker Mayfield maybe, you know. Yeah. We pick take your pick Josh people were clamoring for Josh Rosen cuz he was the most remember pro he was ready. polished, yeah. He came out of a pro system. He he ran the pro system the way it was supposed to be run. You know, Lamar yeah, impressive was impressive Lamar was a Heisman trophy winner, great athlete, questions about whether he could throw it, but now, you know, Baltimore once again shows a lot of people how it's done. He said, "Okay, if we're going to have this guy, we're going to build it around him and, and and do what he does." Yep. So he's the MVP, and they and they're in the playoffs every year, without exception.
1: Well, except for last year when he got hurt.
2: When he got hurt early. So it is a quintessential. I've always heard, and I you know you always hear well, that's a coin flip as to whether the guy's going to be really good or really bad. And and this is exactly where what you see four years later. Josh Allen's awesome. Lamar Jackson, awesome. One guy is a complete bust out of the league. And the other two guys are like, meh. It is a complete coin flip.
1: It is. It is.
2: And the the last two guys, well, two of the last three guys are the guys who hit it.
1: Mm -hmm. You never can tell. It's hard to pick horses, man. It is. Apparently, Mayfield came off a vacation to fly into Charlotte. So he could take his physical tomorrow. It's done. I'm there. I'm on that vacation. guy probably didn't even change out of his swim trunks to this run all, to the airport. This he all. ran right out of his yeah. flip-flops. He still had a Mai Tai in his hand, and he was on the plane headed to Charlotte.
2: This also in. <laughs> Baker Mayfield checked in at 275 pounds. Oh! <laughs> no, I'm
1: Which, hey, I'm you might teasing. be teasing about that, Think but about it, when though. we come back, there are some interesting photos of Russell Wilson, who's been vacationing in Lake Como. Let's just say he hasn't pushed himself in, away from the dinner table very much. Lake Como in, in Italy. In Italy, yeah. Italy, yeah. Um, there's some interesting TMZ photos. You can get it done I, I think he's Italy. got a few LBs to lose. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we can get into that next, along with some of your thoughts on the tweet sheet, as we ask you what Bills player must – Have a great training camp this summer. We're back with your phone calls and your tweets next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And if you haven't heard, Baker Mayfield has been traded to the Carolina Panthers for a conditional fifth round draft choice. Mayfield takes a $3.5 million pay cut on his $18.85 million salary. The Browns pick up ten and a half. The Panthers pick up the remaining five million dollars on his contract to be paid out this year on his fifth-year option. So be interesting to see how that training camp unfolds but speaking of training camp we are asking you what bills player must have a great training camp this summer we know this is a roster that is not going to be easy to make which one of the players on the roster do you feel has to really hit it out of the park in july august in the preseason to ensure a spot on buffalo's 53 man roster so Where else do we go? But the tweet sheet for your answers at One Bills Live, and tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Bryce leads us off and says Dane Jackson needs to show up if he wants to be CB2. Obviously, he's going to be in a stiff competition with rookie Kyrie Elam. I think you can make just the same argument. For Kyrie Elam, though, Steve, because we know how Sean McDermott and his coaching staff work. They typically do not hand anything to rookies, especially starting jobs, unless they prove they deserve to be in there and they can trust them.
2: It may even be up to Tredavious White to have a great training camp. uh, Yeah, that's a good point. You know what I mean? So uh, to to prove he can still do it because Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam, uh, Taron Johnson, all of these guys are going to come in thinking it's going to be a hot competition. When they draft a corner number one overall, he's going to get some reps. And everybody else, and Tredavious including Tredavious has got some things to prove, which you wouldn't normally think he would have to do, except that he is injured and, and a bad one, uh, an ACL. So uh, you can make a case for any of the corners, I think, outside of Kair Elam, that have to really kill it during training camp to make a name for themselves because there is going to be at least one spot open at the corner position, either the CB2 or the CB1, if Tredavius is not lining up. Um, the difference is if Tredavious isn't going to line up for training camp and he's going to be delayed at all, then there's two spots open. CB one and CB two. So then you mm-hmm. then there's some space there for guys to make a name. For, even if you're the the third corner, you know you're going to make the team. I think when I say that, and when I saw this question, when we came up from this question, who has to not? It's it's like to make the team. It's a 53 guy. Yeah. So we got people saying like in the next one, and some of these Alan. like like AJ Epinesa. AJ Epinesa ain't getting cut.
1: You know? Well, that's true. Cody Ford, eh. but if AJ Ebenesa doesn't have a killer training camp, he could find himself inactive every week. That's uh, yeah, possible. I get that. I get
2: that. But being inactive is is better than being out of work. Cody, Cody Ford was a name that I had on my list yeah. as well. Um, and I can't. Uh, we were talking about this different guys, and who was one? I can't even remember who I was. I was talking about. Um, there's a number of names. Isaiah Hodgins. Name. Isaiah Hodgins is a good one. This is his 3rd year coming up and he's he hasn't even seen the field
1: in a regular season game, yeah.
2: So how long is he going to bang around? That kind of those are the kind of guys I'm looking at thinking, well, you know, Cody Ford was squeezed out last year and then when they started to get injuries and poor play, it was Ike Butker that went in and then it was Ryan, Ryan Bates. Bates that went in and Cody Ford did not so former second round draft. Yeah. So those are the guys to me that are like, well, what are you going to do? You got a guy like Dan Kessenberry in, Roger Saffold, Tommy Doyle, and Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown hasn't taken part too much lately. He's just, you know, he's dealing with some minor stuff. But all of those guys are trying to get on the field to take reps with the first team at right tackle. Who's you know who's the odd man out? They're not going to keep five offensive tackles, so who's going to have a great training camp to make sure he's on the squad? I mean, on the squad. Forget about being a starter.
1: I mean, that's might to be, me might be Tommy Doyle because he right. was you know he was a rookie here last year and was one of the swing tackles, and even got some time on the field. But now you have a veteran like Kessenberry here, you know. Among others, we're talking about. We're not talking about guys who are going to be a starter or a
2: backup. We're talking about guys who are going to be a backup, or or inactive, or out of the off the team. That's what we're talking about. Those yeah. are the guys. That's the. Those are the spots that you have to look at. It's not you know. Deion Dawkins doesn't have to have a great training camp. You know, but Cody Ford, yeah. Tommy Doyle, yeah. My. my uh, you know, Bates. Yeah. You know those those kind of guys are. Yeah, those those guys may be completely out of the NFL if they don't have great training camps. So that's kind of the, the the gist of the question I was getting more at when we when we put this out there. I know that there are going to be starters for battle spots for battles, but I don't know somebody's going to have to if if it's Tredavious White and Dane Jackson or Kyir Elam. Who's the guy right behind them, them and, and Taron Johnson? Who's the fifth corner? Yeah, That's, that's the guy that's got to have a great training camp right there.
1: No question. We have to take a break here because when we come back, joining us for the second hour of the show will be former Bills wide receiver J.D. Hill and the co-author of a book on Hill by Lou Giardino, who wrote Go Long, the Story of J.D. Hill. We'll be here next with J.D. Hill and the author on One Bills Live, presented by Colada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve! A balloon. Steve! A blimp? (laughs) We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. All right, welcome to hour number two here on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and pleased to be joined now by the two, two of the three members, anyway, of a main book project on. uh, The autobiography of J.D. Hill, uh, co-author Lou Giardino, and former Bills Wide Receiver J.D. Hill joining us on the show here in hour number two. Guys, welcome into the show. Glad to have you. And um, forgive my partiality here, J.D., but I'm going to ask the first question of the guy that uh, did a lot of the writing, (laughs) did a lot of the work on this. Uh, Lou, why don't you just explain the the genesis of this project and, and why it came to be?
0: Well, first of all, thanks, thanks, guys, for having us on to talk about an incredible story, uh, the life story of JD Hill, and it started uh, in a conversation we had while having breakfast one day. We were talking about JD's charity, Catch the Vision, and uh, I handed him one of my uh, one of my books, and he looked at me and said, "Lou, you wrote this." And I said, "Yeah." He said, "All these words, Lou." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, all the words." He says, "How about the pictures too?" I said, "Yep." And he said, "Lou, we got to do this." And that was it. That was the start of it. And then JD started to tell me the story, and I'm, uh, I'm a storyteller. And the more, uh, the more he told me, the more interested we got, and, uh, and here we are.
2: JD, hopefully know- the
0: book will be out. Uh, go long. Uh, will be released the end of September in time for uh, J.D.'s Catch the Vision Charity Golf Tournament.
2: Well, J.D., I know, too, you burst onto the scene for most Bills fans in 1971. You were the first-round draft pick of the Bills. Uh, you wanted to have a, a life, but your story goes well before the Buffalo Bills and, of course, now well, well after the Bills. Give us an idea of what – can you give us a synopsis of what your story has meant and what it could mean for others? Thank
3: you. Um, for me to do this, uh, I, it took a lot of uh, consideration. Uh, my wife and I discussed it uh, at length. Um, in fact, I uh, want to share that I just lost my wife. We just had her service this past Saturday, and, um, which was really tough. Um, yeah. She was a major part of the book, but now uh, she's gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, we talked about it and uh, we wanted to know between the two of us, what is the purpose for the book? That was number one. Is it for glorification of NFL or is it, um, you know, what really is it all about? And what it came down to is um, redemption. Uh, How uh, I was an athlete, how I fell into darkness and how the Lord delivered me um, from the Muck in the mire, and so that being the, the case, uh, and both of us loving the Lord, we decided uh, that we'd give it a shot.
2: You know, we did. I did hear by your your wife of uh, just a few weeks ago um, after the book I think was completed, and now to see this project come through it must be very difficult for you, and also the loss of your daughter as well, um, son-in-law, yeah. the oh, son-in-law.
3: My daughter's husband.
2: Right, your, your son-in-law, excuse me. Um, yes. So it's been a very rough recent time, and to see this book come out, um, it's got to be with mixed emotions, even though it was a, a a labor of love for you and Lou to get this thing done. Uh, it's got to be a little bit bittersweet right now.
3: Uh, yeah, because I can't hear her voice. Um, I, You know, you can't – you can imagine – I could share what I think she would say, uh, but it's not her. And uh, so for me now, it, it's 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 incomplete, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, right. Uh,
3: and uh, God, you got me right there because yeah. I didn't get any more.
1: Condol- condolences to you and your family for uh, some unspeakable losses here in the last few weeks. So uh, we appreciate you even uh, mustering up the time to come on with us, J.D. So I'll turn it over to Lou here because – You know, as we know, J.D. met his wife, Carol, in Buffalo. Uh, She was a native. She still has family here in Buffalo. Um, J.D. pointed out that she was a major driving force of the project. So, Lou, maybe you can explain for us what her level of involvement was and how she kind of helped you guys push this right up to the finish line.
0: As difficult as it is um, to deal with what's going on in the last couple of weeks, there's a message here. Carol was a matriarch of the family. She was a powerful woman, a buffalo native and a big Buffalo Bills fan. They met in Buffalo and uh, it was a, it was a dream come true. They spent, you know, the glory the glory years together and Carol was the glue that kind of kept everything together. And I know that while we were writing, you know, the majority of the, of the book, she carefully um, reviewed all the, all the manifestation of the stories, the participants, the people who were involved, who we talked to, who we interviewed. And she was, and, and J.D. and Carol went back and forth discussing every little detail. I mean, even the graphics on the cover—they discussed whether or not he had a smile or a frown or something as small as that. <laughs> and and it was, um, um, we had had a, a meeting just a couple of weeks um, before her passing at our house, and um, we had dinner, and we met with our my co-author Reno Anderson, who's in in Saskatchewan, Canada, by the way. So, uh, I didn't even, I mean, I heard of Saskatchewan, but I couldn't find it on a map if you asked me, but coincidentally JD could because uh, a couple of his boys played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders up there. Mm, Right. So we were having a meeting, a zoom meeting with, with Reno at our home. And we discussed a lot of the details And the one thing I could say about this is that her passing, um, it was tragic, but her memory will live on a lot longer with this book being out there. So uh, J.D.'s dedicated the book to Curl, rightfully so. She was a powerful influence through their whole life. Um, and, And that story started a long, long time ago, and it's a great story.
2: JD, I know that, you know, as I said, your first round draft pick in 1971 of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, you're going to have this book coming out in September, uh, hopefully, for all of us. Any plans to come back to Buffalo, maybe do a book signing, making some appearances, and, and to promote this project?
3: Yes. In, in fact, uh, I'm going to be back. Uh, Steve probably is aware of the, the alumni weekend run right. uh, that's coming up um, here in late, late this month. Um, I'm probably be in the Buffalo area around the 21st through the 27th. I'm looking to be there. Um, one one of these things is kind of humorous to me is (laughs) God. Remember I played for the guy named OJ Simpson. Right. And the name, and the name of the book and title of the book is go Long. I didn't get to do
1: that much. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, you did. They just didn't throw you the ball. Um, (laughs) That was the problem. Um, so I, I realized, J.D., that, you know, there's obviously a, pro, a football career side to this book, but there's also a very spiritual side to this book as well. So can you, because most people listening to this who are old enough know J.D., the football player, can you just maybe give us some cliff notes as to what they can expect from the spiritual side of the book?
3: Yes, uh... If it were not for my wife, I would, I don't truly believe that I would be here today because of her relationship with the Lord. And uh, after uh, leaving the national football league with the disappointments that, that I encountered uh, from not catching the ball, that was where it really started. I was a great athlete and he took the ball out of my hand and I started questioning myself, the knee injuries that I sustained, uh, the back injuries that I sustained, uh, that started uh, shortening the, the career. And then I ended up on drugs, walking the streets, weighing 167 pounds. I'd lost everything I had except my life. And uh, my wife, uh, Carol, uh, was the one that uh, made the call. Uh, and that's a message in itself, the call. Yeah. She made the call to some godly men and began to put some things in motion. I was living on the street. um, And uh, if it wasn't for her, I I truly can say, uh, and my belief is that I would not be here today. Um, Another thing I'd like to just say with that is a lot of people are are focusing on addiction rather than mental health. It's gotta be something mental that's going on that would cause a person, and I use myself as an example, What is it? What what was I going through in my mind, my mental state, that would take go from a number one draft choice, an All Pro, a great receiver, to being walking the streets with nowhere to live, in three feet of snow in Buffalo without a jacket, walking in the snow to find drugs? That's mental health. And a lot of times we're focusing so much on the addiction that we're not looking at that person's, uh, the mental health aspects of it. And so I just thought I would
2: share. Yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, Lou, I know you, you had to be kind of, you had to walk in. I don't know. I don't know how, how well you knew JD before you started this project. Obviously you were well acquainted. What did, what revelations came about during this project, that really opened your eyes to what JD's life has been all about.
0: Well, the uh, the fact that JD has taken up his life uh, in the form of a ministry is um, that, of course, is the his goal, his mission. But my feeling was that the that the story was a, was much more powerful than that. And it was it's a it was a lifelong challenge, a struggle coming from, you know, uh, poor neighborhoods, growing up with that, meeting all the challenges, facing off with some of the uh, uh, the toughest people on the planet, and still still getting himself to the pinnacle, and making those choices on the way up. And what it really boils down to, and this is the message in the book, and I think this is where we are it's what does it take to be a difference maker? And there's a whole section in the book dedicated to that, to being just that. And early on in JD's career, there were coaches, amazing coaches. And I had the, the opportunity to interview 98 year old coaches. And that's just an amazing thing. The fact that they're still here and the fact that they can tell the stories and, and to understand how much, they influenced J.D. through his rise and how he met every challenge. And there were a lot of them. You know, you, you got to read the book to, to to see what they are. And then in being faced with things going on in his life, up and down, up and down. And he just never gave up. And he always went long. He, he went for the long ball. Sometimes you catch it and sometimes you drop it. Hey Lou, I didn't drop none. <laughs> uh, last oh, one. Oh, they were tipped, JD. Yeah, that's right. Last <laughs> they one were
1: tipped. Last one I got for you, JD, is I understand that some of the proceeds of the book are. Who am I be- talking to? You're talking to Chris Brown. I'm asking you this question, this last one here. Okay. Um, I understand some proceeds of the book are going to benefit your personal mi- ministry, Catch the Vision. Why don't you just share with us, you know, how you're pouring into others with, with that ministry?
3: Thank you. Um, catch the vision is Proverbs 29 and 18 says where there is no vision, the people should perish. And, uh, I caught the vision of, uh, making a difference in people's lives because it was people that made a difference in my life and, uh, giving back is a requirement. And, uh, when the Lord gave me back my life and gave me a vision, that I captured, being a wide receiver, catch, vision. Um, for me uh, to be able to um, reach out to help hurting people, um, not whether they're on drugs, uh, whether they're not on drugs, or well, they're just hurting people, uh, God has given me that that vision. And one of the stories I, I never share, and this is probably one is that I was, uh, I was never, I only saw my father, my real father in my life for one time. And uh, I got one touch from him. I asked him for 50 cents and he walked by me and pushed me into the wall and said, "Move, boy, I ain't got no money. And that was a stimulant for me as a kid that I was going to show him one day that what 50 cents really was. And and so for me, I just want to be able to use my life, uh, to let people know that there is a, a, a thing called overcome, and that God is a God of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And because without Him, uh, none of this that we're doing, even this talking that we're doing now, would not have t- would not
2: take place. JD Hill, former Buffalo Bill, uh, Lou Giardino, thanks so much for joining us. JD Hill, go long the story of JD Hill. Hopefully, it'll be released this September. You get a chance to read it. Thanks guys for being a part of the show today and we wish you all the best and hopefully cross paths here in Buffalo in the future.
0: Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, no problem.
1: Yeah. Go bills. Good luck with the book. Good luck. Thank you. All right. That's JD Hill and Lou Giordino joining us here uh, with that interesting new autobiography go along the story of JD Hill expected to be out uh, on Amazon and all the other places where you can buy books uh, in late September. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, cause just to talk at 15 minutes with him, it sounds like one heck of a story, uh, even beyond the disappointment of his playing career due to injuries and, you know, being on a team that ran the ball 45 times a game. Um, you can bet JD <laughs> you know, would have much rather played in this era of football, right?
2: Yeah. It's, instead of, uh, the, uh, Three yards in a cloud um, of dust. Three yards in a cloud of dust when you're out there. If, the only time you went along was to
1: try and take a DB with you. Yeah. Uh, hoping
2: as you a were As a decoy. Covered. Yes, as a decoy.
1: Uh, so, yeah, an interesting story there. Be, be sure to keep an eye out for that book, Go Long, the story of J.D. Hill. We wanted to get back to the tweet sheet as we were asking you today who on the Bills roster must have a great training camp And why? And we go back to the tweet sheet and some of your comments there. And we left off with Steve, who said, I feel like A.J. Epinesa is the guy that needs to shine at training camp. This year is number three for him. It's the year he needs to take a big step. It may be do or die year that may determine whether he is a Buffalo Bill moving forward. I hope he shines. Now, Steve is of the opinion, and I would probably share this, That Epinesa, I don't think, is in danger of getting clipped off the roster. But uh, it could impact how often he sees the game field if he doesn't have and demonstrate measured and defined progress with his individual game here in year three. We saw flashes of it, Steve, last year, but it just wasn't sustained consistency. And this is something that Leslie Frazier talked about during OTA sessions and not only for Epinesa, he said for Basham and for Rousseau as well, he said the time for inconsistency for those three is over.
2: Right. They need to play well and play well all the time, not just yeah. flashes. And and certainly those guys have had moments where, and games where they played well, it's just been hard to sustain it for them. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about how A.J. Epinesa fought his weight his first year, uh, then last year uh, was in a better place. But it was that he's in a position where the team has continued to put high-value draft assets in his position, he being mm-hmm. one of them, Ed Oliver, uh, Boogie Basham, and, of course, uh, Greg Rousseau, all three other guys who were also in that mix. So he's not only in it against guys who – he doesn't have any cachet that other guys in his position don't. He's right. not a high draft pick that they've got to make work. Um, he's just another guy. In that realm. Right. So he's got to be consistent and do some things um, that we haven't seen him do consistently enough.
1: Let me throw another name at that position at you. Shaq Lawson. He's got to have a big training camp, doesn't he? I think he does. Because you got three young guys in the pipeline that were high draft choices of this regime. Number one, Von Miller. Now, I know Shaq does offer position flexibility because he can kick down inside on passing downs. He did that his last year here in 2019 with great success. But he's got to really show up here in training camp because there's no guarantees for, for him either. You know, among veterans, he might be one of those veteran-type players that really has to show up and show out to ensure he has a spot on this roster with as deep as that end position is. Yeah,
2: there's a, it's a crowded field, and it's crowded at the top. You know, they've got some guys with some chops in, uh, and some cachet. So it'll be interesting to see what Shaq Lawson brings back to the Buffalo Bills. And he's been around, you know. He came from the Bills. He then went to Miami. He was with the Jets for a minute. Um, there's a reason he's bounced around. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he can overcome the thing reasons teams
1: don't want him and to come up with reasons why the Bills do. I will say this. We hear Coach McDermott say all the time, we want players to come here and be the best version of themselves. The best version of Shaq Lawson was in 2019 with the Bills in his entire career. Right. So you have to believe that not only the coaching staff, but Shaq himself is hoping to recapture that so he can be the best version of himself. Because if he is the best version of himself, he's on this roster. He's on this roster, I I believe. so. Right. But he's got to... He's got to bring it every single day in training camp to prove that he deserves a spot at a very deep defensive end position. No doubt
2: about it. Yeah, and it's it's we've said a ton, and the general gist of the message is this: This is a very talented roster. They they are favored to go to and win the Super Bowl, folks. Yeah, they got some guys, and it's going to take a superhuman effort to make this roster. Yeah, even for the guys who are proven. They're going to have to bring it. So it's, it's going to be really competitive, particularly up front, because this is a regime in Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier uh, and probably Ken Dorsey as well. They really believe in winning up front because early on in this regime's tenure here, Josh Allen's rookie year to be precise, they didn't have the guys up front to win. And they remember that lesson big time. So wow. they're not going to go back there. They're going to they're going to be solid up front no matter what. And to make this squad, you're
1: going to have to you're really going to have to play your best. Yeah. We have to take a break here, but more of your thoughts on the tweet sheet coming up. Who must have a great training camp for the Bills this summer? To ensure their spot on the roster, may even have a little time for some NFL true false as well. All of that coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. We're back on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. (laughs) uh, heated discussion about greeting cards about well, cards in general. Yes. And their, and their shelf life, which we can get into if we have time. Yeah. we. Um, but we have, that might be one to be kept, kept off the we, air. I'm we, <laughs> we have the rest of the tweet sheet uh, here for you. <laughs> as we have been asking today, who must have a great training camp this summer and why? And we've had some interesting answers thus far. Nathan, Chimes in with Speedy Stevenson, with the team bringing in Tavon Austin and re-signing Isaiah McKenzie. Don't forget drafting Khalil Shakir. If he doesn't show something, i got to think that he's gone. Steven- well, it's
2: also Isaiah Hodgins is even that in
1: that. Yeah, and we've already had Hodgins mentioned. But, yeah, Stevenson is in that boat, too. Basically, anybody at the receiver position who's not named Diggs, Davis, Crowder, or McKenzie I think really is going to have to show up and show out to make this roster, because I think six, right? We were thinking is what they're they keeping. May keep Maybe seven. seven. They got listen. They got Tavon
2: Austin, Jamison Crowder, Gabriel Davis, Stephon Diggs. And then you've got Tanner Gentry, Isaiah Hodgins, Jake Kumaro, Isaiah McKenzie, Neil Pau, Khalil Shakir, and Marquez Stevenson. That's, and you can all, and you and I. I mean, we talk about these guys all the time, and they're all, you know. And the guy that's off the radar for a lot of people is Neil Pau. He's six four two fifteen, undrafted rookie. Six four two fifteen. There's yeah. not many of those guys walking around that locker room. Kumaro's that. Big. Kumaro's that tall. He weighs like ten pounds less. So. There's a long list of wideouts on that on, there, and like I've told you before, I've got it written on the whiteboard out front. The Buffalo Bills draft traits. So if you're going to make this squad, you better be able to run fast and catch the ball and run good route. you better be a guy. Be
1: really tall. You better be. You better have some
2: <laughs> physical traits. Otherwise, you're an, you're in an uphill battle. So that so your room full of those guys and the guys they sign as free agents. Same thing. So. You you think about who is going to have to have a good camp. There's Everybody's going to have to have a good camp. Like I said, it's a deep and talented roster. But you kind of draw – you try and go down there. Listen, draw the line someplace. Diggs, okay, he's in. Gabriel Davis, okay, he's in. Jamison Crowder, no way. In, in my opinion, he's going to get cut. Then you got Isaiah Hodgins, okay. McKenzie, well, okay. He's making the right. Now you got Kumaro. For special teams, that's six right there. That means all of those guys, Khalil Shakir, Marquez Stevenson. Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin. All gone.
1: Or yeah. on the practice squad in some capacity, and it is a 16-man practice squad again. So you can stash some people there. You have to decide whether you want them to be one of the four you protect or just leave them out there and run the risk of them getting plucked off your roster to be added to a 53-man roster elsewhere with no compensation coming back to you. That's why these decisions are going to be critical, and a lot of them are going to hinge on the kind of training camps these guys are able to put together individually. Rick on the tweet sheet goes a different way and says, Ken Dorsey must Mm. have a great training camp. That's a different way of looking at things, huh? Yeah, I don't think Ken Dorsey's losing his job. No. And I don't know that having a great training camp is – Absolutely, of paramount importance. I think he has to ramp himself up and be ready for the regular season. But know, yeah, it's the execution on the field that yeah. maybe counts more than anything else. I get the point, he's especially trying to make. in training. Camp. I get the it's point.
2: Understood. He's trying to make. It's understood. Um, this is a little bit of a different offense he's taken over than when Brian Daybol was here a year ago. For the last bit. four years, he's got to tweak it a little bit. He's got a few different pieces, most notably a guy like James Cook in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, which does throw it in there, plus O.J. Howard in the mix, which adds a little something extra that they have not had in, in addition to Dawson Knox. So you've got two contributors at two position groups who I would say have been the least contributors, the least, have had the least amount of contributions to the offense, the tight end spot and the running back spot. I think overall. The wide receivers, I mean, guys are playing great. Josh is making those guys look great. It's been great. And Dawson Knox has come a long way. But to have another guy with some physical abilities and then a running back that does the things James Cook does, that puts it right in the lap of Ken Dorsey to get yeah. the most out of those things. So I see the point of putting him down as having maybe having a great training camp. But we're talking about guys who may not be on the like on the roster – Period, practice squad, all that. Somebody's
1: somebody's getting released. Who's There's it going to be, be? Some surprises. Yes. Who's it going to be? Bruce on the tweet sheet says with James Cook and Motor Singletary, Zach Moss needs a great camp or he might not see the field during the season. With the depth of the D line, Boogie needs to step up. Not sure where he will actually fit in now. I. I guess I mean we've we've seen encouraging signs from Boogie Basham. He's completely revo- redefined his body composition. He is going to be playing about 15 to 18 pounds lighter this You're not going to know
2: who he is. There's going
1: to be some fa- fans out there not even gonna re- when Who's they take 55? the field.
2: He's number 55, not 96, and he looks different. He looks different. Yep. And we're seeing some shots of him now on TV where he's number 96 year. from last year. And, he, you know, he had some moments. Let's face it, he, he did. He had some moments. But he looks like a different, different human being than he did last year.
1: And his teammates have said as much as well. I mean, we were talking to A.J. Up in in the spring, and he was telling us that Boogie's got that quick twitch to his get off now at the line of scrimmage, which if you're coming off the edge, that's pretty important quality to have. And he's got that now because he's not playing at 272 anymore. He's playing at 258, right. 256. So I'm, I'm encouraged to see what he brings to the table in training camp. But, yeah, he's got to step up. Zach Moss is an interesting one, Steve. And the reason it's interesting is because I think we can all agree that at its core, you're looking at an offensive backfield that will, to some degree, have a committee at work. I do think Singletary, barring a poor training camp, will still be the main ball carrier. James Cook, I don't know how he does not factor in based on the skill set he is bringing to the table. He'll be competing with Duke Johnson, who matches matches Cook the most in terms of skill set overall. And that leaves you with Zach Moss... Who can give you short yardage in between the tackles, power type running, that the other three cannot—at least with the same degree of effectiveness? But is that enough to keep him on the roster? It's a valid yeah, it's, question. Yeah, it's a good question.
2: I mean, you look at, at where the roster is now. Zach Moss is is listed at two o five. Devon Singletary is two o three. Duke Johnson is two ten. James Cook's a buck ninety. There's not too much difference in these guys. You know, Raheem Blackshear is a buck 90. Uh, undrafted so, rookie, yeah. Undrafted rookie. Out of Virginia Tech. You know, uh, what those guys bring to the table is going to have to be evident. It's not, it's not like Zach Moss is just like 6'4, 235 pounder. I mean, these the same size as Devin Singletary. What, can, he, can he be more productive? Is he going to be more productive? Has he been? Has he been working hard like the other guys have? Is he going to transform himself like Boogie Basham has? What's, you know, what's he going to look like? It's, it's But I, I see it. Um, Duke Johnson, Zach Moss. One of them is going to be a practice squad or off the squad, off the team if James Cook, Devin Singletary, are the top two. They're not, they're not going to keep. F- you know, it, you know, Tywan Jones is going to be on there, so I'll be third running back. They're not going to keep five running backs on a on a Sunday.
1: Well, and don't forget, you have Reggie Gilliam who doubles as a fullback, who's technically a tight end. Right. So, you know, does if if Zach Moss does not rebound from I think what he would call a subpar second season, do they say, well, we'll just handle short yardage with Reggie Gilliam? They could. You, we don't know. So I think that's the thing that he's got to watch out for Yeah, uh, in every way, shape, and form. Um, next up on the tweet sheet is JT, who says, Dane Jackson has the rookie on his tail. Elam will be a day one starter opposite Trey. I'm calling it now. Also, Moss needs to bring it or he will be cut. Keenum needs a great camp and preseason. I don't see us holding on to three quarterbacks, and Barkley's one of the team's favorites and Josh's buddy. Uh, Let's talk about quarterback for a second there, Steve, because I think what you have to keep in mind is how they handled three quarterbacks last year. You had the starter, Josh Allen. You had his backup, Mitchell Trubisky, who they paid money, and then you had Davis Webb, who spent the year on the expanded practice squad. Once again, that expanded practice squad is back. So you have – so now you – and you traded essentially for Case Keenum, and he's got $3.5 million with one year left on his contract for the Bills. So you're paying him a million more than you paid Mitchell Trubisky. I would be inclined to think he's got the inside track on the backup job. And you say, "Oh, well, what are they going to do with Barkley then if they're not keeping three? They'll have him on the practice squad." Matt Barkley's value, and this is no, this is, this is no criticism of his abilities on the field because he has helped this team yeah. in the times he has been here. He's been good, and he's capable in every sense of the word. But if he is the quote-unquote odd man out because they like Keenum more as the backup, he's still going to be here. Mark my words. He's too valuable in the room, the quarterback room. He's too valuable in the locker room as a whole. Yeah, let's, let's not forget what
2: Case Keenum and Matt Barkley's job is here in Buffalo. It's to get Josh ready. ready to play on Sunday yeah. to win. That's their job. Their job is to help Josh get better. Be his buddy. Be a sounding board kick him in the pants if he needs it. Let him talk to them so they can talk to the coaches. Yeah, so Josh can exchange ideas, they can be a sounding board, they can be a liaison between the quarterback coach and Josh or Josh and the coordinator. They can say things to guys that Josh doesn't want to. Their job is to help Josh be as good as he can be. Mm-hmm. And and to like doing it. To thrive in that role, not sit there and sulk and be a pain, you know. Like I should be, not, well, I don't, yeah, not like other guys we've seen down down through the years. You know, sabotage the starting quarterback's job so that they can get on the field, right? Uh, because they want to be the guy on the field. Their job is to get Josh to play well on the field and and help the team win that way. And they got to be happy doing it. They got to understand it and embrace it and do it. Certainly to be ready to play if Josh gets hurt. I get all of that. But the expectations change for everybody if Josh goes down. right? So their job is to make sure Josh is at his best. Those guys are not that easy to find, particularly guys who are good at it, that really do help a quarterback get better. You've seen him. Frank Reich has been a great you know, he's an example of that. Uh, Jason Garrett in Dallas all those years.
1: Barkley's one of those
2: guys. Matt Barkley's one of those guys. You've seen other guys around the league be that for, for players in, in throughout Gary Kubiak for John Elway. Mm-hmm. The list goes on. So yeah, that's what their job Don is. John Strock.
1: <laughs> the list we, is long. We gotta take a break. Steve and I'll close things up with some of your final thoughts on the tweet sheet next here on One Bill's Live. Stay tuned. So we'll uh, give credit where it's due to Warren Sharp from Sharp Football Analysis. In the wake of the Baker-Mayfield trade to the Panthers in exchange for a fifth-round conditional pick in 2024, Warren Sharp has pointed out that the Panthers have traded away the following, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, two fourth-round picks, a fifth and a sixth, all to assemble a quarterback room of Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Matt Corral. It's a lot of draft capital. No ones, though. Didn't give up any firsts. No, they got...
2: Well, see, that's... Uh, and they're just paying a little less money. Two, that's like six players. Yeah. And they're getting Baker
1: for $5 million. That's a yeah. pretty good deal. Not bad. Yeah, that's not pretty bad. good. Actually, I, pretty I wouldn't good. fault them for that. No, that's that's pretty good. We have to uh, remind you, we are not here tomorrow or Friday because we make way for Sabres Live, which will have wall-to-wall draft coverage for three hours tomorrow Bo-diggity. and Friday Get ready for those three first-round picks for the Sabes. We'll catch you next week. Take care, everybody.